Hello, everybody. It is uh, Wednesday, March 8th, 2017, and this is the Promotional Law Practice Live Chat here on MMAFighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we'll go for about a little bit under 90 minutes today, talking about uh, all the various topics that you have listed in the thread below where this video is posted on MMAFighting.com. A uh, couple of housekeeping notes. Look what I have. t-shirts um i barely know what to say about this i didn't even get a chance to promote them on the show and they're already gone uh they went on sale last friday while i was in las vegas for ufc 209 and um they sold out four days later completely they're completely gone so this is what they look like right um it's been still in the bag i haven't i mean i got i was doing a bunch of stuff yesterday i didn't have a chance to even open it but this is what they look like, right? And they've got on the bottom here um, a couple of thank yous that I owe to everyone. Number one, you guys for, hold on just a second, for number one, buying them. Uh, number two, um, for being patient with me getting them up because I know that was a painful, arduous, and overly long process. And um, and so I really, really appreciate that you guys got behind it but we didn't know how much inventory to make and so it was kind of a test run and they like flew off the shelves so thank you so much for doing that and thanks to mma warehouse for helping us out with that um as you guys know the charity money is gonna be split 50 percent. i mean all the money is gonna be going to charity but like what there is of the of the any any, any proceeds gonna get cut in half half goes to the humane rescue alliance that's where i got this guy barbus is from the humane rescue alliance here in dc this little guy he's an idiot but I love him and he changed my life and has made it infinitely better. And so I wanted to give back to the place that gave me him. So this little guy is um, a big reason why the Humane Rescue Alliance is part of that, um, uh, this effort. Say what's up to the folks. All right. And then the other one is Fundacion uh, Grand Paws Colombia. It's sort of a play on words there. Um, and, you know, they you have to understand in South America, there's not as many state services that help out um, stray animals. So a lot of these are just private organizations doing the best they can. So this money is going to go a really long way down there as well. So um, thank you guys so much. And there's one person in particular, and we'll get to the show, I promise, that I really, really, really need to thank. And it's the guy who did the logo design for this. He did everything. Uh, his, I don't know if he wants me to give his last name out, so I won't. But if he, if he does, I'll give it out in a future edition of the show. His name is Judd. And he reached out to me, and um, he is a designer, and he does a lot of work covering. Um, he makes the artwork for beer craft breweries. That's what he does, and he, he listens to the podcast. And he just hit his actually his wife hit me up one day and was like, "Hey, he wants to help you out." I mean, I cannot tell you what this guy did, man. He had this whole. We, we had we, we spent time on the phone talking about things because I don't even know what I wanted. I don't even know what desire to do. I don't know anything about making t-shirts, like literally nothing. And he tried to guide me through the process. And not only did he do that, he gave me tons of different designs and colors, all of which I have, I, I, I own the, I own the copyright to them. Um, and he did it all for free. Didn't charge a dime. And I'm talking about doing a thorough process. So we, we made like presentation decks on, PowerPoint and like all these different, I mean, it was incredible what he did and didn't ask a penny for it. So, um, I've got this for him. 
I'll, if he wants me to plug anything he does, I, don't, uh, I will in future editions. I didn't know if he wanted me to, but Judd, thank you, man. Like, and, and what he did is the same thing what guys have done for like the logo I use for this chat itself for the Monday Morning Game List. It's just people who have hit me up and decided to help me out. Like, it, this is really what it all is. So, um, from soup to nuts, this is I, I owe you guys everything. So, to to Judd, um, to his wife, to you guys who purchased, to everyone who's ever helped, uh, you know, extended a helping hand with this effort. Um, I, I'm in the deepest, deepest debt of gratitude to all of you. Uh, I, I literally, quite literally, could not have done it without you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And if you're asking, Luke, are there going to be more shirts and more designs and hoodies and stuff that go on sale? Yes. Give me some time. Let's get through this one. Let me get the money to those charities, and then we'll start worrying about the next generation of these. But if you if you missed out, don't worry. There's more coming. The next edition is going to be a black T-shirt, so we'll have something up. So uh, I know that took forever. I know this me saying this took forever, but I had to get it out, um, and I'm just incredibly, incredibly thankful. So thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to some of these questions, shall we? Uh, let's see. First question, the DEXA scan. Oh, that's back up in here. Weight cutting update. Hi, Luke. I wonder if there's any update on using tech like DEXA scan to eliminate weight cutting. I know that... Barbara says growling. I know this has been a prevalent topic in the last few months and will be only exacerbated by the meltdown of 209. I am personally confused as to why we will hear commentators like Rogan point out the problem and the optimal goal, but everyone is at a loss as to how we would eliminate weight cuts. This technology has been a hot topic in the bodybuilding community for many years now, but seems to struggle translating into the MMA discourse. Um, so I, I've been looking up DEXA scans over the couple of weeks, and uh, they are prevalent in bodybuilding because it sort of tells you what your body fat percentage is, what your bone density is, what your sort of what, what your lean mass really is, um, you know, uh, and a few other things. It, it, it's just not clear to me that the DEXA scan would be. I'm not saying helpful, but I don't know. Ex it, it, I would need someone to connect the dots for me a little bit here about how this would eliminate weight cutting. Um, because the what you'd be measuring on the DEXA scan could be manipulated as well. People's body weights fluctuate over time. You'd have to get a number of these. They're not prohibitively expensive. Usually about a hundred bucks for a six-minute setting to get the scan. But you can't get uh, the radiation is relatively light. But you couldn't get so many in a year. Um, so it, 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 I don't know that it would necessarily solve the problem. It could be manipulated as well. A DEXA scan is typically used to um, in the in the detection and examination of to what extent a patient might have osteoporosis and the various complications that are uh, that can ensue as a, as a consequence of that, like finding out the different ways in which your body is holding different um, I don't know, pieces of matter, uh, tissue, carbon, uh, bone, whatever the case may be, uh, it's probably a valuable exercise, but. Um, all these things can be easily manipulated. Now, what I would say, though, is one of the reasons why I do like the DEXA scan is because it advances the idea of, and I've been toying with this idea as well, like, what are the point of weight classes? The idea is that what you're trying to do is not have, I mean, yes, what you end up having is people trying to be equal weight, but the idea behind it is that people of similar size should fight each other. Right? That's sort of the core insight that's behind that. And it just seems to me that asking guys to show up on a day 
uh, in their underwear and step on a scale and that's a proxy for size is clearly a really rudimentary way of measuring someone's size. So the DEXA scan is good in that it advances beyond that. And I think that part I am interested in. Uh, maybe the DEXA scan as part of a larger effort um, might be something that helps. In and of itself, it's not clear to me how that um, changes the equation given the potential for manipulation there. Um, but I do think this idea, like as you know, in, in trying to figure out similar size, right? What we've done is we've said, okay, 170 pounds. You got to be 170 pounds on that Friday at whatever, 9 a.m. Um, if you put a number on it, I mean, all the if you're fighting someone of a similar size, I would imagine even if they're tall or short or whatever, they wouldn't be too far apart in numbers, right? 172, 171, 169, somewhere in that in that range but it also seems to me that like asking someone to reach a numerical limit and knowing in advance that that's a numerical limit they have to hit um just you just open the door to uh everything that happens like like um simply telling someone you have to be a number is by setting that limit you you are by that act alone encouraging everything they can do within you know semi-reason to make it so the problem to me is that you have to have until we have a better system a numerical system of identifying similar sizes but that numerical system is the one that incentivizes the weight cutting to begin with especially when combined with the wrestling background where again they also have a weight system back there but that culture of heavyweight cutting that maybe boxing doesn't have so to me like there's a lot of different solutions people have proffered you know more weight classes i think that would help a dexa scan certainly i wouldn't be opposed to it given uh, a more fleshed out plan but um but to me i think the bigger issue is we're trying to get two guys of similar size to fight each other right what is the best way to measure someone's natural size and a DEXA scan can do that, but a DEXA scan can also be manipulated. So I'm asking in a real general way, what is the best way to measure someone's basic natural size? And asking him to show up at Friday at 9 a.m. and hit a number on a scale seems to me woefully backwards. But solutions are hard to come by. But I do think that like introducing these ideas about DEXA scans and other things um, certainly help significantly. Um, and he is right. It does have a really big, it has a very prominent role in bodybuilding where these guys have to be really precise about what their bone density is and what their, um, you know, how much lean muscle mass do they have? How much fat do they have? How much water are they retaining? That kind of thing. Like they really have to be very, very um, specific about that. Someone says, what about Bluetooth scales in a smartphone app? To circumvent cheating, there would be an official scale at the gym. They would have to collect measurements on. The app could ping fighters, and they would have to either weigh in right then or reply back with a reason why they can't. I mean, this is just a major. Like, I understand that weight cutting is a problem, but we're now going to add in whereabouts programs for weight cutting? I don't think so. The idea would be that time between a ping and registering a weight would be short enough, let's say 30 minutes, where they don't have to do anything to cut any weight. So we'll get – you can cut. And if you're smart enough, you can cut – a couple of pounds in half an hour if you're good enough at it if not more also there's a question of a fighter trying to cheat the app could uh, require a live video feed with the fire waving this seems awfully awfully costly this seems awfully invasive and i think there, needs, there probably has to be a much better way about doing this 
Habib Tony at UFC 210. Hi, Luke. In your opinion, how realistic would it be to see Habib Tony at 210? I just don't see it likely. Now, when is Ramadan this year? 2017. When is Ramadan? May 26th to June 25th. Okay. So that's Ramadan. So with that in mind, what are the list of UFC events between now and then? Now, I believe 210 is on April what? Let's see here. Okay. Excuse me. More. Uh, yeah. April 8th is Cormier Johnson 2. 211 is already stacked, and that's May 13th. You could do that. 212 is out because it'll be in the middle of Ramadan. And then you have 213, which is July 8th. So it looks to me like that's probably the earliest you could do it. Like, I just feel like with him getting liver pains and cutting a tremendous amount of weight, asking him to go and do that again, you know, a month later or whatever it is from now until then, yeah, roughly um, not impossible, but probably unlikely, especially if it's that New York commission, which is really, you know, hands-on, maybe even to an onerous degree. If it was another state, if it was Texas, I don't know, maybe not. But in New York, it's going to be something, man. It's just going to be really, really difficult. So I think you're looking at International Fight Week if, if in fact, they want to do it again and if, in fact, they want to wait until a pay-per-view to do it, which, you know, I would imagine that they would, but you never know. But that's what you're looking at there. Uh, because he would have time after Ramadan 25th, but that's pretty close proximity. Even that July 8th is pushing it. You're looking more at like July 29th, really. The Honda Center in Anaheim for 214. Man, it's bad. Like, Habib messed up bad, man. You guys know I'm a big fan of his game, and I think he's got a hell of a story, and I think he's a hell of a guy. But that was a critical career error. Whoa. He will be paying the cost for that one for a while. And you can bet if he ever fights Conor McGregor, Conor is going to rub that in his face and and – and he will have given Khabib, will have given McGregor all the ammunition in the world to do so. Mm. Boy, what a costly error that was. And that's just the beginning of all the things that it cost him, you know? All right. Furthermore, how much damage did the cancellation of this fight do to the 155-pound division? Good question. With McGregor out and the fact that the 209 fight was for the interim belt, it feels like 155 is now log jammed and a total mess. I completely agree. I think 185 is the most log jammed division in the UFC, but it looks like 155 is rapidly coming up behind it. The problem with this fight is not merely that, well, you lost it and, you know, for the third time or whatever, um, although that's in and of itself really bad. It's that the problem is you need the fight to resolve lightweight you need it to resolve its next step uh it's badly badly needed you can't even crown an interim champion now as a consequence of this or you could you could just declare tony it i guess but that would feel i don't think he wants it that way and i don't think i don't think i, I suspect many of you don't want it that way either and certainly it would just be you know unfair to him when they fought connor because connor would say like you literally didn't even fight to get that you know it would be it would be tough it would be tough so like the problem is you Man, Habib messed up really, really, really bad on this one. Really bad. This was a critical, costly error, man. I mean, it, he will look back on his career and definitely identify this as perhaps one of the most problematic moments of his of his professional existence. Uh, this one was a costly, not not irreparable, I don't think, but 
you know, I mean, if it, okay, it's not irreparably damaging. Great. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's pretty awful. So I don't really know what they do. If, I, at the time when the fight was announced that, or it was announced that it was off on that Friday, I thought, man, this has got to be gone forever. Like, what could they really do? And now I'm thinking, ugh, you kind of have to do it another time. Uh, and now with Ramadan and everything else coming up, it's bad, you know. Maybe he skips Ramadan this year or something. I find that unlikely, but if he did that, it would, you know, expedite the calendar a little bit. But um, I'd like to see it at 211, to be honest. Just go ahead and stack that card in ways I hadn't even planned to. But I, I don't, it's it's such a nasty mess he created. This is what I mean. Like, if you're going to make fights and you're going to – the key to them is not merely making them like, oh, let's put X versus Y in some kind of abstract sense. It's putting X versus Y at just the right moment that the division needs it. Right? That's why you have title defenses when a natural contender emerges and everyone's healthy. Boom. Do it. Right, It keeps everything going in a flow and in an order. And obviously things go awry all the time. People get injured. Fights get canceled. You know how this goes. But that's to, to the extent you can adhere to the natural flow of a division, you can really keep things uh, maintained. This just this just you know pulls the plug on so much. Really, really, really bad error by Nurmagomedov. Um, Nate Diaz Ice Cube movie. Okay. Look, what are your thoughts about Nate Diaz saying the UFC tried to block his advertising deal to promote a movie called Fist Fight? What are your general thoughts? Here's the link to the original article. Now, just for my own edification's sake, what kind of reviews did Fist Fight get? It's got Ice Cube in it. It is almost assuredly a flaming pile of garbage. Some exceptions abound. Ooh, 26% with critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 48% with audiences. That is a flaming pile of garbage. Um, so if you read the article, basically what it says was like they wanted to use the the people behind the movie, they wanted to use like a UFC fighter to promote it. And Nate Diaz had a connection to the, sort of the people in charge of this. And so they wanted to do it with Nate, and then the UFC kind of pushed back and was like, no, no, we really would prefer you to use someone like McGregor or St. Pierre, and they passed. But And so Nate actually ended up in it, and Nate was like, I mean, you should read his quote, you know. Huh? Here's his quote. I don't know what it is. This is Nate Diaz talking. Ah. The UFC is like, we're thinking GSP or Conor McGregor, Diaz said. This is like uh, the UFC was talking. My guy said, don't worry, we're going to use Nate. They came back and said, we really think you should use GSP or Connor. I don't know what it is. I'm not a white boy with blue eyes or great looking. I talk all uh, messed up. I'm not the look they're going for, but this is fighting. You don't go for the look. You go for the baddest that's out there. This is an example of my whole career. Uh, I find it very much unsurprising. The UFC is, um, even when dealing with advertisers, like to push a certain direction or narrative or general feel to things. Um, you have to remember a lot of people who want to get involved in MMA, either in an advertising perspective or in a, they want to be tangentially, not related to, but have a moment where they use MMA or UFC fighters in some capacity. They need a lot of hand-holding from the UFC. And if you're a hardcore fan, you just can't imagine that's true. I am telling you that is true. 
there are a lot of people that are like, you know what, we shouldn't get involved with the UFC for this promotional campaign. You know, not not, not some lifetime bond, but we're going to roll out X product. We want to have Y advertisement. And what they'll do is they'll be like, so UFC, what do you guys recommend? I mean, it's just a super, 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 super common. So the UFC, I think, is used to being like, we should dictate this way, we should dictate that way, or at least have a heavy influence. It didn't work this particular time, but I can tell you most commonly that it does. This is a very, very, very common scenario that 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 a lot of people find themselves in because they know of the UFC, they know maybe of Conor McGregor or something like that, but really they don't know much and they get handheld. Um, and the UFC exercises a fair amount. I mean, I'm not saying they control everyone's business, but to the extent they can influence a certain decision related to that, um, that's in keeping with their interests, they definitely 1000% will. So when I read that, I wasn't necessarily surprised. And like we've talked about in this podcast, you know, so many times the Diaz brothers are clearly a popular attraction that everyone loves, but they don't fit into the corporate culture of the UFC, which is buttoned up to an extent more so now than it maybe ever has been for better or for worse. And these guys, they clearly have popular appeal. They clearly have strong degree of fan sentiment. They clearly are adored by, frankly, I would argue a wide swath of the fan base, but they don't easily dovetail into the kind of image, believe it or not, that the UFC is trying to present to various stakeholders. They're just not. And, you know, the Diaz brothers get upset about it because it seems like their promoter is working against them, and maybe that's a way to interpret it. But, I mean, you know, you got to figure it out because this th that's not going to change. They don't – the UFC fundamentally do, don't know how to use the Diaz brothers in a way that the Diaz brothers could be maximally used. Now, look, they're not at the UFC so incompetent they can't make use of the Diaz brothers. No one is suggesting that. Like, no one is suggesting – let me just make sure that the audio is working. Yes, what a miracle. Huh? Um. Look, they can they can put Nick Diaz on pay per views and on good posters occasionally, and you know he's been in big fights and he's gotten big paychecks. This is not some disaster, right? Let's be let's be sort of clear about the scope of the problem here. Um, it's just that, given everything that the Diaz brothers have to offer as promotional tools, and I'm not calling them tool bags. I'm saying as a vehicle for promote for promotion or some other kind of visibility effort or whatever the case may be the ufc just doesn't really know or even want to maximally push that they would maximally rather get behind other internal resources that they believe are more in keeping with their own internal vision of themselves and their product and they're, the Diaz brothers are always going to be on the outside looking in insofar as that is concerned. Always, always, always. Unless true leadership change exists or some massive, you know, revelatory change occurs to all of the brass about who they are and what kind of image they want to project, that is going to be the case. So it must be frustrating because they're, you know, in the middle of contracts and you know, they can't go anywhere or do anything else. And I, I completely sympathize with them. I, I, I mean, how frustrating must it be? But um, to me, the answer is pretty simple. You know, people hire other people or people use other people that project either the values they see in themselves positively or in the corporation generally or the organization generally, right? And they try to mold everyone around that 
to various degrees. The Diaz brothers are not, they're not, they don't fit in that. They fit in other kinds of more open, broadly used schemes. Um, you know, Scott Coker, I just think, is a better fit for the Diaz brothers because he has a much more laissez-faire attitude about how to use them. He, I don't think he has the same resources the UFC has to use them, right? I mean, the bigger paychecks probably come in the form of the UFC checks, right? Um, if not d- definitively. So I, I think there's that. But um, And look, the Diaz brothers, you know, they... You know, how many of these claims are a little bit, uh, are they whining a little bit? You know, maybe there's a little bit of that. I just think in the end of the day, man, you got to, wherever you work, whatever line of work you're in, a lawyer, a lawyer in a law firm, if you're in the military, um, if you're a fighter in an organization, like whatever it is, look around and ask yourself, what kind of culture is your off, is your job environment promoting? What are they looking for? Who do they promote around you? What kind of things do they say? What kind of image do they project? And figure out to what extent you fit in that. And if you feel like that's a great fit, then man, climb that ladder with the, you know, like you are racing up that with the fury of a thousand uh, firemen trying to save a family in a burning building, like just racing up there. But if you don't fit into that, um, and you have to be very, very clear about this, like, I am not telling you to quit your job. Far from it. This process takes a long time to figure out. But if you don't fit in that, you got to figure something out about what what you want to do and who you want to be and who you are and where you got to go. And you know, I think on balance, the Diaz UFC thing works. I really do. On balance, it works. It's just that there's so much left unfulfilled, and so you can see wow, they've gotten so far together, but you realize it's just a fraction of what it could be because they don't work well together in a lot of different ways. And that's not the UFC's fault really. And it's not the Diaz brothers fault. It's just not like there's, there's no internal scheme to get the Diaz brothers. Like they're Smurfs and Dana White is Gargamel. That's not what this is. It's a little oil and water ish, not completely of course, but a little bit. You know, when the Diaz brothers will fight again. Yes, I do. I'm just not telling you. Did the right man win the UFC 209 main event? Did the right man win the UFC 209 main event? Uh, I basically don't care. But let's go. It's not what I mean. I don't know how else to say this. It's not that I don't care who won. It's that I don't have a particular investment in the outcome, given my larger concerns about how judging is performed. But let's go through this. Let's break it down step by step. That's what this person says. The first two rounds are clear 10-10s if I've ever seen any. Well, then you've never seen any. Nobody won those rounds, let's be honest. I don't think that's right. Woodley clearly won the third and fifth rounds by a large margin. Okay, I'd agree with that. Wonderboy won the fourth round by a not-so-large but still evident margin. I would agree with that. I scored it 49-48 Woodley having it 20-20 after two rounds. Okay. Many people believe Wonder Boy had won 48-47 on the basis of the first 10 minutes. This doesn't make sense to me. Surely two rounds where literally nothing happened shouldn't make the difference, especially in a title fight where stakes are the highest. All right. Well, let's see if nothing actually happened. So let's go to 
fight metric. Let's see what nothing happens looks like. See exactly what the numbers tell us. Because we could do that. All right. So. This is your per round. These are just significant strikes. Tyron had five in the first round. Wonderboy had six of attempted 12, attempted 19. In the second round, eight and eight each of an attempted 16 and 24, respectively. So I'm not here to tell you that, uh, you know, 13 and 14 punches are, you know, some sort of overwhelming margin of, you know, so some like this is some evidence of great creative output. I'm not telling you that. that that fight was boring. I mean, there's no two ways about it, but that's not nothing. And I don't know that, you know, I have to go back and watch. I don't know that necessarily that tells us the whole story. I mean, numbers never really do, but it's not nothing happened. Um, there might be one 10, 10 round in this fight. Uh, and round three was close too. Although of course, you know, Woodley was on top, but, um, I don't think the first two rounds are 10 10. And I'm very much convinced of that. You know, now I've sort of caveat that by saying I don't I don't understand the hostility towards these guys. Not so much on the grounds of was the fight boring. I mean, it was unbelievably boring. You know, and I give a lot of credit to Tyron Woodley, and I made this point before. These two guys have fought 10 rounds. After 10 rounds, you basically have a pretty good idea of who Tyron Woodley is for his strengths and his weaknesses. You know he's a good wrestler. You know he's got big power. You know he's a potentially – he didn't finish Woodley, uh, Wonder Boy in these fights, but, boy, he came close a couple of times. You can tell this guy packs a serious punch, and you know about him backing up against the fence. Um, you know about him maybe taking some a lot of that rounds off, but you know being overly patient at times. These are the things, both good and bad, that define Tyron Woodley. For Wonderboy Thompson, I don't really feel like after 10 rounds, you do have a very good sense of him. Yes, you have some things he does really well. He does have a unique stance. Um, he is perseverant when he gets hurt. Um, you know, he has good accuracy, and and he can make opponents very much hesitant to engage. Okay, fair enough. I mean, he, he does some of those things. But you don't really have a good sense of the things that make Wonderboy really, really special. And so over time, it just was sort of clear to me that Woodley was the better fighter. It just so happened to play out in a way where these guys neutralized each other. And I and I completely appreciate and understand that. Um, I just feel like, you know, if you're going to go out to the post-fight press conference, as Tyron Woodley did, and say, you know, I fought in a way to preserve my interests. I fought in a way where I needed to maintain this belt and I need to do the things for, for my career and family. I, hey, I completely get it. I, I mean, he is 1,000% right. But the, you're, you're saying that you fought in a naturally... Uh, in, a, in a way that is not spectator friendly. So if you're if you're going to argue that you had to fight in a way that was best for your interests, you can't then argue that it was ultimately pleasing to people who don't share those interests because um, it wasn't. You know, you can have a, an abstract appreciation for what they were able to do to one another. I think particularly for Tyron Woodley, but it was god awful. It was it was painful to watch. Um, so that being said. I also don't think it says that nothing happened, but you guys sort of know my feeling about judging at this point. I've been pretty, pretty clear about it. It's hard to judge when there's when there's the same amount of activity. So in this particular case, in rounds one, five versus six punches. In rounds two, eight versus eight punches, although there is a lot more output um, in the first two frames from 
Wonder Boy. He tried to throw more, 19 and 24, respectively. But my point being is, let's say they had landed 50 punches each. That's a high degree of output, right? Um, it would still be hard to judge under those considerations. So there's two two common ways. Not These are not the only two ways. But two common ways that judging can be really impacted and made more difficult. One is when there is a relatively equal number in what the output is. Both guys landed a lot. Even if it is a lot overall, this guy landed 20 punches, that guy landed 20 punches. That's a lot, right? And so, you know, whatever the case may be. Say 50 each, like we did before. That makes it difficult. But when it's the same number and it's low aggregately, five versus six and then eight versus eight, that makes it even more difficult. And so when people are like, oh, you know, it's a clear 10-10, I don't, uh, for two rounds, I don't, I don't buy that. But um, even then, whenever you see those conditions, if you see a fight where there's three rounds, and let's say guys landed five, six, and seven punches each in all three rounds, and maybe those are very different kinds of punches. Maybe those are bus driver uppercuts versus jabs. But under those conditions, it's going to be almost always super difficult to make a call. So for me, I didn't like I didn't have a super hardcore investment in the outcome. Who was going to win? I don't know. This is a really hard fight to judge. This is a super hard fight to judge. Inactivity makes it hard to judge, and a relatively equal level of output makes it hard to judge. And you got both of those in this one, with the exception of rounds three and five, um, and maybe four to an extent. You know. You just kind of have to accept it. And then for all the other reasons that we've talked about, there's no technological aids. This is really a, a person's rough draft of a decision. Like, how could you possibly be like, oh, my God, I really thought somebody won. Okay, you're allowed to argue what side you thought, but you have got to realize we are speaking in a universe where you, you should try to think through these things and come to a conclusion with enough epistemological humility to recognize there is a wide latitude here and how others could perceive it. That's the problem with judging. There's no epistemological humility here at all. None. My way of viewing and interpreting it must be the only way because I did it in the most clear-eyed, sober manner possible. I am sure that you did. I am sure that you did. And I'm sure you're a bright person. None of those things are in question. But everyone's individual circumstance leads them to a different sometimes overlapping, but many times not overlapping version of the truth. And when we're not reviewing these things with any kind of real detail, we're just sort of handing in our score at the end of five minutes, um, you're going to get a totally imprecise way of, of doing this. And that's the world we live in, folks. So have some epistemological humility, please. Is the sound still working? Oh, my God, it's a Christmas miracle. All right. Um, let's see. We're asking about my response to Bisping. If you check out my SoundCloud, it's up there. I can't believe people care about that kind of thing, but they do. So that's up there. You can listen to that. Um, Dave Meltzer. Love Dave. Hi, Luke. Your colleague Dave has been covering MMA basically since the beginning of the sport. Pretty much true. Apart from publishing the widely used estimates of pay-per-view buy numbers, he consistently offers some of the best analysis of any journalist covering MMA. Also true. Uh, says you have been so outspoken with your dislike or at least total indifference to pro wrestling, which is fine. It's his word, not mine. I'm very curious if you read Dave's Wrestling Observer newsletter. I, you know, I'm not a subscriber, but I, I try to get my hands on as much of the things he says. I occasionally listen to the podcast when I can, um, to the extent that many snippets are available, like 
I definitely consume Dave's work. I definitely, Dave has had a really big impact in the way in which I think about things and the way in which MMA does borrow from pro wrestling or to what extent it even is pro wrestling. Um, Dave's had a pretty tremendous uh, impact. Um, I don't think that's any way contradictory for me to say I turn on Monday Night Raw and I want to dip my face in carbonic acid. They're not, I don't see those two as in any way mutually exclusive. Um, I also, I assume you would also skip all the pro wrestling content and stick to the relevant MMA coverage. Yeah, I mean, when I read today's stuff, I don't read his pro wrestling stuff, but his MMA stuff insights are, trim- I mean, gold, true gold. Also wondering what it's like to work with Dave and if you could share anything you've learned from him over the past years. Um, work Workhorse, um, friendly as hell in person, could not be a nicer guy. Uh, my man stays in the weight room. Shouts to Dave Meltzer for staying in that weight room. I see you, player. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, everything you basically think you know about him, I'm not sure that saying that's true, but in terms of like, you know, providing an hour, I mean, he's a total historian, you know. Um, he's got a good sense of humor. Dave's, Dave's a great guy. Like, I'm part of the great thing about this job is I've gotten to chance to better know, you know, not just him, but guys like him, but, you know, in, in this case, of course, Dave Meltzer, and, and he's a, a total blast to be around. And um, and you can see that everyone in the industry really respects him, too. Like, when you we go to these events, like, the people in the know, they definitely give him time and talk to him and, and share things with him. And um, his success, man, is not accidental. Not accidental at all. There was a great New York Times profile written by former Sure Dog writer Jake Rawson, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, who are discussing this guy. I don't think he's taken a vacation in something like 28 years. So something something insane like that, um, the dude just straight punishes that work, man. Pretty pretty incredible guy. Woodley Thompson, look, is there a petition we can sign to never see Woodley fight Wonder Boy again? I don't think you'll have to worry about that. I really don't. Boy, I am I am glad that rivalry is over. I, I don't know that I speak for you when I say that, but I hope I do. I hope I speak for you when I say I am very, very relieved to see that that is over. Um, first fight was great, but I got a little tired of the evil versus good guy bit that was so dramatically played out. You know, and Tyron, I like Tyron a lot. Um, I obviously feel like after 10 rounds, to me, it's pretty clear he's the better fighter. Uh, maybe you disagree with that, and that's okay. But that's that's what it seems like to me. But like anyone else in the public eye, it's good to get a lot of them sometimes, and then it's good to step away from them sometimes. I think this is a good time to step away from him and make some headlines about some other guys um, for the next couple of weeks or months or whatever the case may be. Um, and I'm sure he wants that actually. So works out for both uh, media and him. Uh, weight cutting. Look, I was as disappointed as every, excuse me, Luke, I was as disappointed as anyone at the Habib Ferguson fight falling through. It sucked. At first, my thoughts were that Habib, excuse me, at first, my thoughts were with Habib, but since learning he tried to cut 35 to 40 pounds the week of the fight, I'm less sympathetic, even more so as Ferguson pointed out that Habib was eating tiramisu 10 days out from the fight, and all that was shown on Embedded. Who knows what else he was eating? Just how much regulation should the UFC impose on weight cutting? Should there be a limit of no more than 15 pounds, for example? Clearly, they may not want to be seen as endorsing weight cutting, but at the same time, it is known practice, and a professional standard needs to be established or this will keep happening. How you make, how you enforce that 15 pounds, I don't know, except if you have some kind of NCAA version of the hydration test. 
maybe that's another and better way to do it. I actually have a technique talk coming out. I'm not sure when it'll be up, but it's it's done. I just got to add a couple of bells and whistles to it. Um, you guys might not know this name, but I think you should remember it. ATT has a strength and conditioning guy, but that's not even really what he is, named Phil Daru. And I had a conversation with Phil because Phil fought as a pro, played Division One football, um, and has done powerlifting and bodybuilding. And also has a bunch of degrees and certifications, um, including post-secondary degree uh, and other things. Like this is not this guy is is the real deal. And we spoke about like the conversation started about if you guys don't know this, cardio does nothing for you in terms of injury prevention, o- almost nothing. Um, strength training does, but MMA is interesting because you need some strength training, but you obviously know that you have to exercise to the best extent you can and improve your aerobic capacity. So it's a really, really, really hard fight uh, or sport to train for, to get the right kind of strength and conditioning that you need. And he was sort of pointing out a lot of things like, there's a certain time in most fighters camps when injuries happen, I'm not gonna share that, but he goes through that and why that happens the way that it does. In any case, another part of the conversation was, he goes, in his opinion, not a medical doctor, but a guy who is, you know, has cut weight, has competed, um, has a has a, you know a, a very to me distinguished background in this line of work. He was like, "Do not ever, no matter your weight, cut more than fifteen pounds. That should be the most you ever cut. You cannot hydrate past that. Cannot, not possible. So if they want to institute this sort of NCAA hydration test that they use for those wrestlers, um, and then sort of come to the conclusion like fifteen pounds is the most you're going to be able to cut and find a way to enforce that." I'm all in favor of it. It seems to me that, you know, this will vary by, you know, maybe flyweights can't cut as much as 15, but I'm just saying, let's sort of say like a, a welter or middleweight, don't be cutting more than 15 because that's when you get into real trouble. Um, anyway, I look forward to sharing that conversation with you guys. I had, I learned a ton from talking to him and, and he seems like, I can't believe no one knows about him yet. Hopefully they will after this and, and he continues to do more work in the field. Bob Bennett. What a joker. His appearance at the UFC 209 post-fight press conference. I want to blow my brains out when he showed up. Oh, Luke, can you give a reaction to Bob Bennett's appearance at the UFC 209 post-fight press conference? Yes, nausea. Even though the 10-8 score on that one judge's scorecard wouldn't have changed the decision in the main event, I found it very interesting that Bennett would criticize that scoring in front of the media. I didn't. I found it long overdue. Uh, I've never seen a member of an athletic commission, in this case Nevada, speak to the media right after the fight card regarding the fight scoring and outcome. What were Bennett and the Las Vegas Commission trying to accomplish with this immediate press appearance? I have no idea. When he was asked why he was there, he's like, it's as a courtesy to the UFC. Well, I mean, what does that mean? Like, you're doing them a favor? Or are you talking to us because this is an important act where a public figure answers to the public? public's representatives in this case or something approximating that like i don't i I know some people had some fond attitudes towards them i'm not one of them i'm not this is something that should have been done a long time ago you notice you still don't get these guys subject to any kind of public scrutiny whatsoever and also under the new rules you could argue it's a 10-8 i mean i wouldn't argue it's a 10-8 and i'm sure a lot of people be like under the new rules it's also still not a 10-8 i would agree even under the new rules i wouldn't score to 10-8 i'm just saying it makes the debate a little bit more complicated but Nevertheless, like coming out on a limb and saying something that's egregiously moronic and, and acknowledging as much, this is this is this is significance of nothing. 
This is significance of nothing. In fact, the real takeaway from that whole event is not him getting up there and saying, well, this 10-8 was wrong. This is a veteran judge. Sorry about that. Our bust. Okay. Thanks for the semi-degree of fairly negligible candor from you. How about the one where he said he treats the or he, he viewed the UFC and used the word client? <laughs> that is your real takeaway from the event. Not Nothing else. That is it. You, your government regulator is talking about a promotional entity, in this case, uh, as a client. Uh that is not the appropriate word I would use to describe what that relationship is supposed to be. Now, look, the commission can't hammer them like a judge who is indifferent to the outcomes of the world when they see a defendant come before them. That's not what this is either, right? This is a entity uh, in Zufa that is based in the, in Las Vegas, in Nevada. It does a lot of business there. You know, certainly um, some measure of acknowledgement in regulating them has to account for that. I'm, I'm not foolish about the way in which the world works at the same time calling them a client yikes that is you know <laughs> i mean can you imagine the sec the securities and exchange commission talking about goldman sachs like a client or something i mean this is an this is a totally warped way to view your regulatory duty um that is your takeaway from his from his uh, totally, uh, you know, <laughs> I won't say worthless, but from his otherwise meaningless uh, 10 minutes in the sun there. That's your takeaway. Not that he had the balls to criticize a score that didn't matter in the end. Great, thanks. Can we talk to the judge? Oh, wait, no. Can we talk to judges at the next event? Oh, wait, no. Can we talk to judges of the event after that? Oh, wait, no. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks for the transparency. Edson Barboza. Hi, Luke. Edson Barboza is one of my favorite fighters. All right. How do you see this fight with Darius going? Man, I'm telling you. You guys know F Fox Sports 1 is a great channel, and I do mean that. I, I watch Fox Sports 1. I like it. Uh, it is painful as – I mean – Honestly, I mean, what what is worse? This is a legit question. Getting your prostate checked or watching Fox Sports One for UFC, UFC broadcast? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty close, right? Because uh, the proctology exam, while infinitely more discomforting, I I've not had one yet, but I'm only three years away from forty, so that's going to be a new part of my life coming up here fairly soon. It's, it's fairly short, as I understand it, right? So yes, the peppered in among the advertisements is the occasional fight and they are glorious um anyway this is a sort of roundabout way of saying i'm normally down on fs1 because for their cards because it's just so painful to watch them but the one this saturday from fortaleza is actually pretty good and one of the fights on that card is uh is barboza versus dariush dariush is gonna have he's got his hands full man um to me, it's to what exchange, to what extent he can force exchanges in the pocket. Really, I think it's what I'm really looking for from Dariush because Edson Barboza's got. I mean, if you can get Edson Barboza down, well, then obviously there's a lot there. Dariush's ground game is incredible. But let's assume that that's not really on the docket. Let's assume something else is. Um, you have to. He, Barboza is in many ways similar to Overeem, and here's what I mean: they're very, very different fighters with very, very different styles and very, very different, many different weapons, but. Um, 
at boxing range, both are vulnerable to um, to head strikes in ways maybe uniquely more than their peers. But at ranges, in and out, they're they're pretty uh, adept. So to me, this is going to be about to what extent uh, Dariush can back him up, close the space, and force him to exchange at boxing range. That's really what I'm looking for. Or again, the takedown to an extent that's even possible. But um, you know, the, the the quicker athlete, the more explosive one, the more powerful one is definitely Barboza. So Dariush has his hands full. Really looking forward to that fight. Really looking forward to. It. That's a great great fight. Dylan Dennis versus Nate Diaz. Hi, Luke. Dennis wants to make his MMA debut. If his first fight was Diaz, how do you think the fight would go? I think it would go terribly for him. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Dylan Dennis. I've been watching him long before he ever got hooked up with Conor McGregor. You might remember I did a technique talk uh, where Dylan Dennis was featured in it. He wasn't the star of the show, but he had a lot of, con I, I, this is uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and I, I reached out to him and included some of his views about the guillotine. Remember, oh, that's what it was. It was what it was called the rise of the guillotine and how much the guillotine has changed to become a much more effective weapon. Some of the some of the changes that were made to it from its early days. And I got Dylan Danis's opinion about it. And he obviously has a tremendous amount of insight. All those guys from Marcelo's camp have it. And he might be the best among the bunch, you know. Um, um, and so I, I really, really have a lot of good things to say about Dylan Dennis. I thought his match with Joel was on it. Meta Morris was awesome. And, you know, watching him as a brown belt tear people to pieces and then as a black belt as well, dude, he's great. I just don't understand this whole, you know, Conor McGregor stick he's trying to pull off or, or maybe he feels that way about himself now. And I, I'm not his friend. I don't know him. You know, I, I don't, I don't quite understand what it is. But that would be a very terrible idea to match up with Nate. This is not a jiu-jitsu match. Jiu-jitsu for jiu-jitsu? Yeah, of course. Dylan's going to be better. No doubt about it. Um, but Nate Diaz beat Ryan Hall years ago. Like, he's not some some scrub. And this is not – no, that's a real super bad idea. Now, Dillis, uh, Dennis can wrestle. He's a very good wrestler too. Dude, I, I, I like Dylan Dennis a lot. The only thing I just don't get is this recent turn, this, like, right turn to, like, Conor McGregor land where – I mean, I get he's been profoundly influenced by another peer and a super successful one like McGregor. Like, I'm not, I'm not confused about what's happening, but it just seems, it just seems like it just doesn't feel all that. It doesn't feel like that's a sustained part of his future identity. It just feels like a temporary now, and that's cool. You know, young guys go through a lot of these kinds of things, so you know that's fine. But, um. But you get the idea. Uh, here, one second here. I got... Jesus. All right. So, no, that would be a very, very bad idea. Super bad. Um, okay. Live scoring, right? Hey, Luke, combat sports are probably the only sports where the fighters have no real idea of who's winning the contest until the end, when, of course, it's too late. Wonderboy probably felt he was up 3-1 to one when the fifth round came and thus continued with his overly cautious display. Do you feel a live scoring system where the judges announce their scores after each round would work, or are there massive drawbacks that I've missed? We've been over this a few times. You know, in, without really, we've seen it in kickboxing, and I think it has a mostly positive effect there. 
Um, but I don't think we've seen it with enough regularity to have a to, to draw a firm conclusion about how it would feel in MMA. Because for all the times where you'd be like going into the fifth round, oh man, Woodley or Wonder Boy, you thought you were up, but you're actually down. Um, uh oh, here we go. Um, that would be good. Open scoring would be good in that case. But you can imagine someone up being up 10 9, 10 9, and then just looking at the scores being like, F it, I'll just coast. You know, you can see that too. Um, so, so look, here's the answer to that. I really wish Zufa would try this. <laughs> There's so many territories they could go to overseas where they're not regulated, or they could at least try it um, um, for the home audience in some kind of way. I, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I, I, I've been saying this before. Like whatever system of judging that we have, it's just so, so backwards, so, so in need of drastic improvement, but. Pitching to me an idea, like here's my idea. Well, let's do open scoring. I'm I'm in favor of it. Like let's try it. Let's 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 see what what happens. But until we have a you know a large, pardon me, <clears throat> until we have a large body of, I look gross. I look so gross these days. It's unbelievable. Uh but until we have a a, a huge data set by which to compare this and. And we can tell fans, okay, look, this is what this is what happens when we have this in these scenarios. On balance, let's say the data shows that it's basically a benefit with some drawbacks here or there. Do you, as a fan base, like this? We could have this discussion, but like all of these ideas, without any plan, without any real way to enact them to really know for sure. And there's only really one. I mean, or maybe we, you know, look, maybe we should lean on Bellator to do something like this. Maybe Bellator would be open to something like this in ways that UFC might not. You know, look, one of, the, one of the things that was great about going through these various athletic commissions state by state was that it got them to regulate the sport and allowed us to show up and do this under legal uh, purview. The problem is that it, it reduced the ability for promoters to innovate and to do different things. Um, and I don't know to what extent Bellator is even interested, given all their various concerns, in pushing some kind of way to, when they go overseas, let's say, to try open scoring. But um, I, I think it's worth an effort from some from some major promoter. Some major promoter needs to try it in MMA that does enough shows we can look at a body of work and say, I think on balance this is pretty good, or I think on balance there's no real improvement. There's no real need to need it. But we, we, we can't make those conclusions yet. So, you know, is open scoring the potential savior? Maybe, but we don't know. Uh, Cyborg, with Jermaine getting hand surgery... Do you know if Cyborg will be fighting again? I have not spoken to her. True or false? The Bisping GSP fight being made indicates that the UFC's original matchmaking structure is officially obsolete in 2017. No, it, it, for all my criticisms of it, it would not be that false. Even though Tony should be next in line for a title shot, McGregor will probably end up fighting Nate Diaz for a third time. Um, I don't know that that's likely, but I boy, you cannot rule that out, right? So I'll just say true. Given how difficult it is for Habib to make 155, he should probably fight at welterweight from now on. No, he should find a way to get a professional dietitian to help him. Um, Alistair Overeem's clinch and knees are more devastating than a prime Anderson Silva's. Well, I don't think he's quite as nimble in the clinch. I don't think he's quite as willing to swim in the space for prolonged periods. But individual strikes, are they heavier? Yeah. Yeah, they're heavier. John Jones wouldn't be as dominant if he was an average 6'2 light heavyweight with a 77-inch reach. Um, probably. 
That's probably true, but I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Everyone's like, sports should be a level playing field. Ain't nothing level about it, y'all. Sooner you wake up to that, sooner it'll be a lot easier to accept a lot of what happens. Nothing. There is nothing level about it. It is a total fantasy that we are fed over and over and over again that has no basis in reality whatsoever. There is nothing fair about it. (laughs) There's some things that we try to make fair about it to varying degrees of success. But in the end, are his long-ass arms not the reason why he does well, but perhaps a big contributor with a, what, an 84-inch reach, the same as, like, semi Schilt? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Like life, sports is not fair. My question is, Luke, do you believe Bisping will ever fight Romero, win or lose? Um, my understanding is he could retire after the the GSP fight. I think if he loses his title, he'll definitely retire, at which point that Romero fight becomes irrelevant anyway. Um, if he wins and doesn't take a lot of damage, I think he'll fight Romero. But if that fight with GSP looks anything like the one uh, like Anderson Silva or the second Hendo fight, I don't think he does it. I think, you know, look, man, Michael Bisping has given his body to this sport in ways that almost no one else has. The dude's knees are jacked. His eyes, you know, I mean, he's going to get it fixed, but it's it's a show. The dude has gone out there on the put it on the line time after time after time after time. Um, and I think if he loses the title, for sure it doesn't happen. And, and even if he does, I would say it's 50-50. Ooh, who should John Lineker fight? Maybe Benavidez? Oh, he went to 135 now, so that's out. Um Hmm. Well, he fell short against Dillashaw, which is which is okay. I don't think a Dodson rematch makes a lot of sense. Baral moved up. We got that old bantamweight. Um. There's the Rivera fight. There's Caraway, Aljamain. There's a couple of those that look all right. I don't really have like too high on, you know, any one particular direction. A lot of those would be great, right? Let's make sure the sound is working. Look at that. The sound is working. Oh, my God. Uh, Diaz Brothers on Ellen. Is this true? I was watching TV the other day when an old episode of Ellen came on with Ronda Rousey. What do you think would happen if the Diaz, oh, if the Diaz Brothers appeared on Ellen? I mean, same thing that happens on all the shows where the camera turns on. That's not. Like when they came with MMA Uncensored, I'm telling you those Diaz brothers, they couldn't be nicer guys. They're super, super friendly. Let me let me be absolutely clear about this. They're the nicest, friendliest guys. And I know you may not think that, or I don't know what you think about them. I'm telling you, these dudes, if they saw an old lady who needed help with her groceries next door, they would help. They're that kind of guy. But when the cameras come on and the red light hits, they just kind of shell up a little bit, you know? Do I think Justin Gaethje will end up in the UFC? Yes. Acceptance of women's MMA on International Women's Day, a day without women. Whatever that's supposed to mean. Uh, I'm in a marriage and family therapy master's program. There is a group of ultra-progressive women in my cohort that I recently found out are big MMA fans. One of them, a single mother in her 40s, approached me when I wore my fighter and the kids shirt to class. All right. 
She talked about how she is often frustrated by the lack of coverage from non-MMA media on women's MMA. She went on to say that women's MMA is basically the only major sport where the men accept and cheer for women just as they do for men. That's not true, but I can understand why she would think that. And in her words, they don't even need to be pretty to be a big deal. Uh, yeah, more or less. She went on to discuss how women's MMA is breaking down barriers. I would never have guessed that this group of women were big MMA fans. I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking have parties to order pay per views, rock their Yuani and Jacek champion shirts, and know all about Invicta. Does this seem like a growing trend? Trend? No. Like I don't think it's going like this. I don't think that's accurate. What I do think though was there was a group of women who, when Rousey was doing what she was doing. Uh, to various degrees, admired it, and then some began to really follow it and then became MMA fans. Now, I don't know this person's story. They might have a different origin. It may not be Rousey at all. I'm simply saying Rousey created a generation of women to various degrees, hardcore and then casual, less casual, more all the way to the most casual, right? Concentric circles of fandom. Um, and I think that's a real population that now has to be acknowledged and um, to an extent catered to. What I don't think is that it's sort of ballooning over time. I think now it had this, it had this exponential growth, and now I think it's more arithmetic in, in its in its slope. Um, so, so trend, mm, I don't know. But did a new get recruited to watch MMA that heretofore wasn't really represented within the fan base? And are they a real and noticeable portion of the fan base? Yes. Yes, to me, that very much is real. Mm -hmm. UFC 212. Hi, Luke. Wondering who you think will be on the UFC 212 card in Brazil considering the UFC only do one big pay-per-view of their uh, a year now. I mean, the card's halfway filled out, right? Who's on 212? Let's see. Two, I guess. Gadelia versus Kovalkiewicz and then Aldo versus Holloway. Yeah, like I said before, I suspect Anderson will be on the card. Um... Maybe one of the Nogueira brothers. Well, there's only one left, I suppose, um, doing that. Um, I don't have any big star. Shogun's this weekend. Vitor's this weekend. I mean, it's possible that those guys could be on it. Um, I'm, I'm looking more towards like who they put Anderson Silva up against. UFC Fortaleza. Fortaleza. I don't know how you pronounce it properly. Please forgive me. Uh, okay. What are some fights to look out for at their upcoming card? Yes. Yeah, so let's. Hey. Quiet. Yes, I know. You're the toughest guy on earth. I know. I know, buddy. You tell him. You tell him, buddy. This dog weighs 15 pounds. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. <laughs> All right. On the main event, Belfort versus Gastelum. Love that fight. Uh, Shogun versus John Vellante. I also like that fight. Edson Barboza versus Benil Dariush. I love, love, love that fight. Uh, Juicia Formiga versus Ray Borg. Barbas. Hey. Uh, Betch Cohea versus Marianne Renault. I actually like that fight too. And then Cowboy Oliveira versus Tim Means again. That whole main card is a banger. That whole thing. Then on the prelim card, I love this is probably the best fight on the prelim card. I love this fight. Massa Renduba, Francisco Trinaldo versus Kevin Lee. 
Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. That is a very good fight. Uh, Sergio Moraes taking on Davi Ramos. Boy, Davi Ramos is a handful, y'all. Beating Lucas Lepre. We are flying armbar when, when Lepre was in sitting guard. You haven't seen it? He keeps on uh, this is ADCC 2015. I actually live tweeted it at the time. I want to blow my brains out because the final rounds of ADCC are so miserable. But he was, you had Lepre in sitting guard putting his hands up. Yeah. And what Davi Ramos kept doing was grabbing his ankles, trying to put them. What you want is if someone's in sit up guard, you want them on their back, right? To the extent they're sitting up, they can do a lot more with it. If they're flat on their back, they're worse off. So he's trying to like threaten by grabbing the ankles and the pull on them. But what happens over time when you do that, you're going to be leaning forward to capture your balance again and sticking your hands out. And as he, he just times it, lets go of the ankles, the hands come out, and he jumps on it and snatches the arm. Man, it was inc- I don't think I've ever seen anything like that at a, at a, at a high-level tournament. I mean, Lucas Lepre is a monster, man. And for, and for Davi Ramos to do that kind of thing, to have the, to have the guts – to even try something like that in that kind of condition is insane. So really looking forward to see what he can do against Sergio Moraes. Hani Yaya versus Joe Soto is a banger. And then you got Michael Pajeros versus uh, Josh Berkman. I'm less interested in that, but you know your mileage may vary. Then on the prelim card, Hani Jason versus Jeremy Kennedy. And then Gareth McClellan versus Paulo Henrique Costa. So for me, the I guess the sleeper fight, maybe Hani Yaya versus Joe Soto, Moraes versus Ramos, and then for sure, Trinaldo versus Lee. Looking forward to that one, man. Definitely. All right. What are you doing, buddy? Who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? You got people robbing us? You got people robbing us? <laughs> uh, is Dana White a promoter anymore? Hey, Luke, it seems since the sale of the UFC that Dana White's enthusiasm has diminished. He now... Seems only to speak enthusiastically about fights he is genuinely interested in. That's been that way for a while. And fighters he genuinely likes. For example, disparaging Woodley and sounding less enthusiastic, discussing GSP's return at the GSP Bisping Presser. He seems to be going through the motions and not acting like an engaged promoter. Would the UFC be better served bringing in a promoter who actually promotes the way Dana once did? I, I think he's fine. I think a less... I mean, the passion of Dana White is what you want, but I mean, I'm not sure that this is... I don't think we've reached some tipping point of nonchalance, right? That's not what this is. I, I hear what you're saying. He's not full of the same vinegar and piss he used to be, maybe, but he's also older now, and he doesn't need to be. And, um, you know, look, what do you want to say about Habib Tony? That fight fell through, but are any one of you going to sit up here and say that that fight wasn't properly promoted? Yes, it was. They did a good job promoting that. Ultimately, Habib didn't hold up his end of the bargain, but... I thought they did a good job promoting that fight. I really, really did. So, I mean, it's hard for me to get up and say, Dana's not doing his job. Mm. Uh, I, what, what is this question? Luke Thomas versus Tyron Woodley. Well, this is hilarious. Look, there has recently been comparisons between you and Tyron Woodley pertaining to both your abilities of taking pictures and videos of people in a hostile environment. Yes, I am a war photographer. This got me thinking, if you and Woodley had 25 minutes, how long before you would take Tyron's head clean off? Yeah. Yeah, no thank you. Some of y'all are bored. Um, Elkins' comeback. Hi, Luke. Don't want to sound like a pessimist here. However, do you think in a way Darren Elkins' comeback win was perhaps a bad thing for the sport? Yes, I do. Often there are complaints about corners being too hesitant to stop fights when fighters are taking large amounts of punishment with the defense being only, quote, anything can happen, end quote. 
With this being one of the rare occasions where the unlikely comeback occurs, do you think it could result in fighters ultimately taking more unnecessary damage in the future while searching for a similar comeback win? Yes. Now, look, I also gather that Team Alpha Male has a lot of belief in Darren Elkins' ability to persevere, so there is a little bit of that specificity going on there. But how about this? Brian Stan, who you know, I couldn't have more respect for Brian Stan, and I was so glad he said this. After the first round, he tweeted, if I'm in Elkins' corner, I've got a towel ready. I'm not letting him take a second round of that. And he didn't take a second round of that, although he still got banged on pretty hard in that second round, all things being equal. But like, I, I'm glad that not only Brian Stan thought that, I'm glad he wrote that. People need to see each other. We The fighters respond to peer pressure. It's one reason why USADA is as currently popular as it is. Is it really all that effective? We have no idea. It might be, it might not be. We don't have any data currently to support the idea that it is super effective. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying we don't know. But what I do know is a lot of people in the sport, fighters included, if not more than any other entity or group, are browbeating each other to be, who's the most clean? I'll take a test. You can evade my privacy, blah, 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 blah. They're really sort of showing their might by showing how ready and willing they are to take these drug tests. That has a, that has a real effect. It has a real effect on each other. And so by the same um, uh, logic, this idea of, you know, I think what Brian Stan did was a real service to the sport by, or, or by publicly articulating that. And I wish someone on that broadcast would have said the same thing, you know. Um, obviously, I have very high marks for for Joe and and John and Dominic Cruz, but um, I really wish someone of them would have been like, you know, if if I'm in their corner, I'm thinking this this shouldn't go on, just so people begin to hear it, begin to think about it, begin to take it seriously, begin to literally intellectually pressure each other into taking these things uh, more to heart and being more willing to accept it. We need that. We need that for all the talk about we want to keep the sport safe because we want Usada to do more drug testing. All right, fine. Well, how about keeping the sport safe as well? by by getting out there and articulating some of these concerns um and so i'm glad brian stan led the way and i need to see other ones do the way journalists can talk about these kinds of things so we're blue in the face but ultimately we're just journalists like our ability to persuade people who do that for an actual living is going to be uh, you know i'm not saying it's not it's not nothing but it's much better if other fighters and other uh, parties like that begin to to really articulate those concerns and so you know shouts to brian stan for being somebody who does it the right way um, okay, let's go to the Twitter machine. It's now 2.15. Someone says, how about Lineker versus Cruz? I just feel like it'd be Lineker, like Lineker versus TJ. I don't need to see that again. I mean, obviously, they're very different fighters, but you know what I mean. Um, here's one. I don't remember these poster picture size controversies pre-IMG. Are the odd posters evidence of new promotional philosophy? They were bad before that. What is this? Until we have a, you know, a large, pardon me, <clears throat> until we have a large body of, I look gross, I look so gross these days. <laughs> I certainly do. Uh, I, I, the old ones were bad. You guys remember that one between Noguera and Roy Nelson where they like cut and paste some random person's arm uppercutting Noguera from Roy's body? I mean, I thought the new poster was fine. I can understand why, you know, DC has an issue with it. Can we just get this over with and hire boss logic? I mean, what, what is Zufa waiting for, for real? And he doesn't even have to do all of them. Can you just do, like, when there's a title on the line or something, like pay-per-views or whatever? I'm not really too concerned about your UFC on Fox poster or your U. What, can we just hire? Why have they not hired Boss Logic 
to do the posters for UFC pay-per-views. Can anyone explain that to me? Is his rate so astronomical they can't afford it? I find that hard to believe. He's out there making them for free now. <laughs> can, can they not just cut him a couple of Anderson Silva dollars and say, what's up, man? Figure this out for us. Like, how? Hire, hire boss logic, will you please? All right. Paige Van Zant leaving Team Alpha Male to join Chael in Oregon. Yay or nay for her career? Probably yay. Uh, is Moresh versus Ramos the best MMA fight between accomplished BJJ stars? I'm trying to think. It's up there. Um, it is certainly up there. There's got to be some other ones. You know, Maya versus Nelson is up there too, right? That was a big one. Um, trying to think of some other good ones that have happened. And there's been some that have happened in Pride in different eras. But it's 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 a great one, yeah. Which means it's probably going to be like a slugfest, but we'll see. I like Lineker versus Asun Sal. I'll be down. True or false? Anderson will retire in 2017. False. Also, will Vitor announce his retirement after losing to Kelvin this Saturday? That he might. I haven't heard anything, but I'm beginning to wonder when that might happen. Especially if he, let's say he gets clobbered, you know, he, he might then. New tough. I agree with Seth B. MMA has a great chance to win due to his reach advantage. Uh, also, Seth Bozinski is a really talented guy. It wouldn't surprise me, but it wouldn't just be his reach. I mean, reach advantage is like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it, it definitely is helpful if you know how to use it. Otherwise, it's irrelevant. It's not something that has automatic value like speed or something. In what order do you think these three fighters will make their return? Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, Conor McGregor. Wow, that's a good question, huh? Man. That is a tough question. What order do they make their return? I'll say, well, they could happen at the same time. So that's what I'll say. I'll say Nate and Conor first, then Nick last. Uh, are you happy or sad that your skins are losing to Sean Jackson? This team is an absolute mother-effing dumpster fire. I'm so sick of them. It looks like Kirk Cousins is definitely going to go to San Francisco. Well, not definitely, but very likely going to go to San Francisco. They kept Vernon Davis. Yay! We've got Vernon Davis, everyone. I mean, Vernon Davis is a good guy. I like him, but come on. What, what is happening here? And they're going to let they're going to let Deshaun go. They're going to let Pierre Garçon go, our, our top slot receiver. I mean, it's... You know, uh, Chris Baker's got a thousand offers. Like this team is going to be so bad. McLuhan's not even at the at the combine. Oh God, we are so finished for next season. We are so we're gonna have Colt McCoy. <laughs> you know, we're gonna have Colt McCoy throwing to you know Fat Rob on a check down against you know the lions on whatever week it's going to be. And we're just going to be getting smoked. It's, it's just going to be horrible. It's going to be so horrible. Your reaction when you heard Woodley say, if Dana hated the way he fought wonder boy, he should try to fight him. Well, it's a very common reaction from a proud guy who just won a very difficult fight. I don't agree in any way with it, but I'm not like, you know, clutching my pearls. I, I, I mean, I understand like if you, if you saw that and like, dude, it's not the point. And my colleague Chuck Mendenhall was like, well, I didn't sign up to fight wonder boy. You did. So, you know, this argument that, like, we have to have omni-competence about every job before we can make some kind of criticism of it seems fairly ridiculous. Like, look, to the extent you can be informed about something, you should. 
And to the extent you have an informed opinion about it, um, that makes your opinion likely to be better. Um, but it's not possible to have omnicompetence, and that doesn't render your uh, ability to make um, a reasonable criticism of it um, something you can do. Moreover, and this is where the argument really falls apart for Tyron, um, there were other observers who do this for a living who also thought something else could have been done. So if you want to dismiss the fans as sort of ignorant buffoons, I'm not saying he said that, but you know, there's a little bit of implication of like, all right, all right. Uh, what about all the ones who have fought for a living who said relatively similar things? Like, I'm not mad at all about the way Tyron fought. Where I disagree with him is, is in going and being like, hey, I fought in a non-spectator-friendly way. You as a spectator must appreciate that. It's, it's never going to happen. That's the cost you pay for fighting the way that you did, you know? Um, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We often hear that Mike Pyle was world-class in the gym. Have you heard any other surprising gym legends? Yeah, but I'm not going to reveal those. Uh, not suggesting new world order, but it seems UFC could care less about its hardcore supporters. Couldn't care less, right? Because if you could care less, you actually have some care. right? I could technically care less, meaning I care more than what I could care about. It's couldn't care less. Uh, and I won't say that they, they couldn't care less, but they MMA fans like you or me, they've got us, man. They don't have to do anything. Like we're not going to go anywhere. It's that large. The most I've always said this: the most important group of fans, really, and this is a painful realization, are casuals, because um, they're the hardest to get and they're the most valuable. Like we're easy to get, and we're not. I'm not saying we're not valuable. We are, but like, um, you know, we, one way or the other, we basically support everything. You know, so. To the best of your knowledge, what percentage of the UFC's revenue is generated by hardcore fans? Oh, not much. Um, I would say probably at the high end, something like 30%. I hear women at UFC, excuse me, I hear women at 135 pounds talking about going to 145, but not fighting Cyborg. Are fighters having too much of a say? No. I'm not sure what I, I'm not sure I understand. I will say something that I've been giving some consideration to. And this is about the whole money fight thing. Um, because fighters have no collective organizing group, official one anyway, that represents their interests and is able to collectively negotiate on their behalf with that collective bargaining power, um, we have in the media kind of cheerleaded, either advertently or inadvertently, almost everything Conor McGregor has done. Certainly we've marveled at it at a bare minimum, but I wonder at some point, you know, where, you know, if he goes and challenges these Zufa contracts by showing that the, you know, Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act is superior to them, that's one direction he could go, or that he continues to take money fights in a way that, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying he'll do this, but I'm just saying, let's say he does, certainly he's opened up the door to this kind of possibility. Um, I, I, I don't, I wonder about some of the long-term costs of that. Like if the media has has gone a little far in cheerleading somebody who it seemed like was, you know, yes, out for himself, of course, but doing service in, in, in the course of preserving his own interests to many others. And I think to a part of what he has done, that is true, like incontestably true. 
what I wonder is, is if by cheerleading it, we have given rise to, like, there's a certain amount of suppression of fighter interest that I think if you're a matchmaker, you need to have to do your job the most effectively. And what that line is, I don't know. Um, but the more, say, fighters get over their own matchmaking, and I do believe they are entitled to some. Again, I haven't worked this out fully. Um, but the more they have, I think the more it could deviate away from what either should happen for a division or what should happen according to fan interests. Now, not totally, not all the time, not every time. But I just wonder if I wonder if we've gone a little too far. I mean, like, yeah, Conor McGregor really sticking it to the man. Okay, but what kind of you know? There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good that comes with that. Is there any damage that comes with that? And if so, what is it? And I think that's what I'm trying to wrestle with now. But I don't have any clear answers about it. Um, let's see. I'm looking for a powerlifting coach to help me break 600 on deads. Any recommendation in Southern California? I wouldn't know any. I mean, there's a bunch out there. Hit up. Um, you know who helped me out uh, is actually on Twitter, Lane Norton. Just tweet him. He helped me out big time. There's a guy actually here in Silver Spring um, that I was able to get a hold of. Um, I'm sure he can do the same for you. He literally just responded to a tweet. Just tweet him. Your most disappointing fight cancellation has to be, and I'm not kidding this. I know it's the most recent thing, but I'm telling you, it has to be, has to be, has to be Habib versus Tony. I was, like you, crushed when they announced that. Crushed. That is such an important fight for MMA, for the history of MMA, for the lightweight division, uh, now and forever, and it just went away in a flash. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thanks for shouting out to Judd. I don't know the guy, but love to see people get rewarded for their work. Yeah, man. Man, the least we can do is shout him out. True or false? Woodley's next defense... Is on UFC Fight Pass early prelims. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No. No, I don't think so. Uh, Daly's only chance of winning is by knockout versus McDonald. True or false? Basically. Someone says, stop crying about the Elkins fight. Uh-oh. Here comes the toughest guy in his own mind. How to make the sport safer. For God's sake, it's MMA, where the goal is to KO and choke. And he literally writes this, duh guy, D-A. Yes, thank you, friend. Thank you for this utterly worthless, in no way illuminating, and frankly obtuse and, and morally reprehensible thought you've just given us. We are forever indebted. Thank you for correcting the guy who said, could care less. You're doing God's work, Luke. I try. What do you think about Cub versus Artem fight? I think it's way beneath Cub's level, but if he doesn't take it seriously and Artem wins, good for Artem. You know, I don't understand it. I don't think that's the fight that could have been or should have been made, but they made it. It's super risky for Cub because he has little to gain and a lot to lose. It's great for Artem. Probably will produce fireworks one way or the other, so I'm going to be curious to see how he approaches that challenge. There's been big times in Cub's life where he's been, you know, didn't quite show up to the big dance, and this is the big dance in a different way because it's not a super highly ranked opponent. It's a guy who's like 500 in his career, but um, Artem's got big power and he's getting better. So we'll see. If there's time, answer the question towards the bottom of the MMA fighting about the YouTube podcast Pirates. What? I don't know what that is. 
two, oh yeah, YouTube pirates. Uh, how do you feel about these people who post segments of other people's podcasts on YouTube? Are they doing a good service to the listener by making it easy to find specific segments of podcast, or does it fall into the heavy category of piracy and clickbait to where it shouldn't be allowed? I mean, it's sort of a, this is a very common and relatively complicated debate. On the one hand, it's sort of an inevitability, so whether you like it or not, it just is. But whether it's good, I think on balance, it's pretty good. The only problem is sometimes you can see, I've seen this on my own content, I'll post something on my own content, and it'll do okay. And I've seen pirated content, like my pirated content. Um, someone will change the headline, and to their credit, they'll have a better headline for it, but it'll do better on their pirated site. And to me, that seems a little bit unfair. Like, um, I should be the primary, but I, I don't mind anyone taking my stuff if they link back to me or something like that. Like, just give a little bit of a nod to the person you're taking from, and I'm mostly okay with it. What I don't, what I don't like is, um, and even then, you know, if it does well for them, it is promoting you in some extent, but. It, nevertheless, it, the the person who you're taking from should ultimately still be the primary beneficiary. They should, or if not the primary, because they can't be in certain measures. There should be a clear value to the person you're taking from. I think is the way I would describe it. And if there's not a clear value beyond just sort of general recognition of your content, then there's a problem there. So always just think about that. If you're going to take someone's content, you piraters out there, just do, do do the person you're taking it from solid and find some way to make it worth their while. And I think most people will just be like, okay, no problem. Um, okay, thank you again to everybody. Let me just take this shirt out so you can see the whole thing. I can't believe I didn't do that just a second ago. Again, big thanks to MMA Warehouse for doing all this for us and for getting those checks out. to the. Uh, if you want to donate, um, I'll put a link in the description box below, the Humane Rescue Alliance. That's where I got old Barbitas. And then uh, Fundacion Grandpa's Columbia, uh, really, really important cause down there that could really use your help. If you, got, if you guys missed out on a t-shirt and you want to give just even a couple of bucks to some of these places, man, I'm telling you, it would go, especially if you're American, the dollar is really strong right now relative to the Colombian peso. So um, it, it would really help them out a lot. There's a lot of dogs that could use your help that don't have a lot of state services. This is the shirt, right? There it is. Um, next one will be black and it'll be a lot of other things as well. Um, big thanks to Judd. Thank you so much, Judd. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You're the man, and uh, you made this podcast better. You guys make this podcast better. Truly, I mean that. Like That's not an exaggeration. That is a literal statement of truth. So um, I will talk to you guys next week. Stay tuned for more coverage on MMA Fighting here on the YouTube channel, on the site as well. And until then, thank you for buying these T-shirts. Thanks to MMA Warehouse, to Judd, and to all of you guys out there for being constant supporters of this podcast. I am truly indebted to you. Next time, stay frosty.